This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. You may have a seat. Um, I hope you are settling in nicely. If you came a little bit uh, late for the announcements and you are new around here, please come and fetch one of these after the service. There's a coffee a voucher in here for you as well for micro coffee and yes yes and uh, Vian we just vie there at the back we've got a connect table we have coffee for visitors and visitors only <laughs> in that corner all right um, so please um, if you are here for the first time someone invited you please go to the connect table grab a cup of coffee and um, let us just help you find your next step in this place awesome Jesus Jonah in Hermanus just turn to the person next to you and ask them what is your favorite circus since we will be preaching about a man and a fish. What is your favorite circus? Scarp chops is ni circus ni. Awesome. This morning, I want to take a look at the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, and we will not be able to read everything, but we're going to, because it's a narrative, you can read quite a number of verses and get one idea, as opposed to the epistles in the end of the Bible. Every half a verse has got quite a few truths. So we're going to just work through quite a number of verses, but just bear with me, you can really sit back and enjoy the story as it unfolds. Jonah was a man sent to an extremely sinful world. And we live in an extremely sinful world. And there's a lot we can take from this account of Jonah and apply it to our own hearts. And that's what I want to do this morning. We come, we're standing now about a year and one month after the first lockdown, many things have changed. Uh, people are starting to work from home. Companies are allowing, um, they're letting go of big corporate spaces. People, they pay for the internet of employees. Schools have gone online. Many people have started online uh, uh, homeschooling. Uh, so many people have started their own thing on the side on Facebook and people are online. Grandparents know what Instagram is. It's, a, it's an interesting time we live in. But the trees in the forest have been shaken. And one day on this earth, the stuff we have, the things we love, in one moment or another, every tree will come down. So make your nest in the rock. And in a time when things get shaken, people are longing for the unshakable. And that's when God sends us out to go and show, reveal, invite, and be there. But there is the possibility and the scheme of the enemy that 
the heart of the laborers, which is us, can be hardened and not open towards those in search of the love of Jesus at this time. And when we look at Jonah, we're looking at a man that was probably one of the worst prophets to ever live. He's not in the Bible because you should follow his example. He's in the Bible because you need to do the opposite. But if we are honest, what happened to the heart of Jonah, and we're going to look at this, also happens in our own hearts. And therefore, if we look at Jonah, we should look very carefully and firstly start by saying, I, I, I have the ability to become just as hard as this man. So Lord, what do I do with this heart? That is the question for this morning. How did Jonah get so hard? Now, it's not Job. It's not John. There's a lot of Joes in the Bible. This is the one that got swallowed by the fish, all right? And we're going to look and ask ourselves what happened in this man's heart that it became so hard, so tough, so that we can bring our hearts to God and say, soften our hearts and prepare us for our mission. Amen? Right. So I'm going to go quite fast the first part, the first half of the sermon, because we are working through some scripture, and I'll stop for some commentary, and then at the end we'll go slower as we massage it into our hearts. Read with me on the screen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, Nineveh is where Betty's Bay is, and Tarshish is Khan's Bay. It is the opposite direction, okay? And it's interesting that the scripture says, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he did not obey, he fled from what? The presence of the Lord. All right, so when God was leading him and he did not go with it, it was the presence of God that he excused himself from. All right, let's, let's note that. He gets to a ship, and we're not reading everything, we're skipping a little bit. Oh, well, we're on the next verse. Let's go on, verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid because of the storm, and each cry out to his God. So we find these are not Jewish people. These are not mariners or sailors from Israel because they are each crying out to his God. Can you see that? And they hold the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Interesting, what the language is trying to indicate here, this was not a sleep like the sleep of Christ on the storm or when he was on the boat with his disciples. This is a, this is a death wish. We'll get to it later. He says many times, I'd rather die. This man has given up. That's why he's sleeping. It was his resignation letter. And so he's fast asleep. If I die, I die. 
So the captain come and say to him, said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is very interesting for us. In this account, when things get shaken, when the going gets tough, the unbelieving savior, uh, sailors are begging the man of God to pray. And what is he doing? He's sleeping. And what these men are saying, or the captain, he's saying, Jonah, we don't know your God, but we care for you because we are praying to our God, but you are sleeping. We love you more than you love us. It goes on. At one stage, he says to them, pick me up, hold me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. <laughs> In verse 13, the man loves him again. What do they try and do? They try and row the boat. They're trying not to kill this man. And so the first contrast we see is the sailor seems to have more love in them for him until he says, okay, guys, you have to throw me over. We find a prophet whose heart is hard. Any case, they throw him over. We're skipping the part of a fish. What happens in chapter 2 is the fish is in the fish for three days and um, he's stubborn. He cries out after three days only. <laughs> this man. The fish spits him out and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and called out against it the message that I tell you. So we find the prophet now entering the town, and now we are going to contrast Jonah. First we did with the sailors. We're going to contrast him now with the king of this heathen nation. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Now here's his sermon, okay? Eight words. One of the worst sermons in the history of the world. He says, In 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Good luck. And the people of Nineveh, here's this sermon, believed God. <laughs> they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. It goes on. The word reaches the king. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Now listen, I don't know how many cattle they have, but imagine all the cattle covered with sackcloth. You know, standing there, not allowed to eat or drink. That must have been a statement. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? This man, this king doesn't know God. He, he doesn't have um, the accounts of Genesis, Exodus. He doesn't know. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You see that heart reaching out? Can you see that? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, what you need to know right here is if you are a believer with a heart for the lost, there is 120,000 people in Nineveh. I don't know how many people live in Hermanus. Maybe more. I'm not sure. Maybe less. Imagine the whole town turning like this, coming together in a public square, sackcloth on, we, we have heard of, of this Jesus. We, we are here to repent of us and maybe he will forgive us. I mean, what a day it will be. What a day. I mean, I will give an arm for that. Sorry, lovey. I only have one arm left. But I will. For a whole city to turn, I'll do it. Get an arm back in heaven, Okay. But not Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not why I said when I was yet in my country that... Sorry, just lost my words here for a moment. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. At this point, we have to ask what happened in this prophet's heart. We have to ask this question because if we are humble, we will know whatever happens to one human can happen to another. And if it happened to this man, a prophet, it can happen also to me. So what is it? What should I be on the lookout for? What is going on that this man is displeased when a nation turns their heart to God? Let's go on because we're going to get the answer. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God's going to ask you more than once. Jonah went out of the city. He sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What does he want to happen to the city? Have you seen, have you seen a mushroom bomb? <laughs> he wants God to mushroom Nineveh. And he's there for the show. That's why he's out on the hill. He's not preaching in the city. He's away. Now the Lord God appointed a plant that made it come 
up over Jonah. This is very important for us. It's going to help us reveal what happened to his heart. That it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Oh, he's glad for something. It's the first time he's glad for the plant. Why? It gives him shade. Should give us some clues there. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. I'm sorry. I mean, you, humor me for a moment. The worm does not eat the plant. It attacks the plant. <laughs> so I, I, I have to see this worm, you know, with a, with a ninja band around the head. It's like, plant, it's me and you. God said attack. So here I am. I'll bite you, kick you, whatever. But the worm is not eating the plant. It is attacking the plant, all right? When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. He asked again and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God asked him again, Do you do well to be angry? For the plant. Look at his answer. Yes. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. We have to ask. With fear. What happened to this man's heart. Lest the same happen to me. Very important. And the Lord answers him. This is the last two verses of the book. We don't get jo jo Jonah's final answer. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, pity, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? End of the book. Will your heart not break for those people? We don't get the answer. We never get the answer. And it is intended to be like that because the question is being asked at you and me every day. Will you not care? Will you not care? Will you not care? Until the day he comes back, the question will sound forth. Where are these people? They're all around us. In this town, in the town you come from, that's where they live, and that's where they are crying out to God in ways they don't even understand. But what happened to Jonah's heart? Who was this Jonah, and why was he so upset when this plant, he was so happy when the plant came, and when it was taken from him, he, was, he wanted to die. I want to read you three verses in the book of 2 Kings which will forever change the way you view Jonah. Who was this Jonah? In the 15th year, read with me, King Amaziah, the son of Joas, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joas, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years, this king Jeroboam. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, he was the evil king. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. But this king, Jeroboam, restored the borders from Israel to far ends. What did he do? He was taking back land for Israel because the word of God was fulfilling prophecies through him, even though he was a sinful king. He was one of the most effective military machines in that time. The hand of God was heavy in favor of him, even though he was an evil king, the scripture says, because it was prophecies of God which was coming true. And as this king Jeroboam was conquering kingdoms and expanding the boundaries of Israel, when you conquer an area, what do you get? You get the spoils, you get the money, the gold, or the, the cattle, the stuff. This is Israel growing, growing. Who was the man next to King Jeroboam? According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by the servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai. It's the same man. What we need to understand about Jonah is there's a big difference between Jonah and John the Baptist. John the Baptist was poor. John the Baptist was in the wilderness crying. There's one coming greater than me. He ate what he found in the land, honey. He was a simple man. He was a prophet that lived the life of a poor prophet. Jonah stood next to one of the most successful kings in the history of the world. When Jonah said, according to his word, left, boom, the kingdom went left. When Jonah said, let's take them, they took them. And he experienced the health and the wealth of Israel, he was a rich prophet. And he associated with the best of him. And then one day God said, go to the enemy, Nineveh, which would overcome Israel at the later stage and exile them. He knew it very well. And so when God sent Jonah, his heart relented. It would mean We like to follow God. We like his blessing as, soon, as long as we are conquering, as long as we are doing great. But when he sent him to the enemy, he relented. He didn't want to go. He did not want to go to a lost nation. Are you with me? So, he sits on a hill. A plant comes up. He's used to living in, I don't know, the palace or his grand chambers where from where the king will summon him and he will speak to the king and he will have the king's ears because the scripture says according to the word of Jonah many of these ministry exploits happen and here the man sits on a hill he's away from the palace and a plant comes up over his head gives him shade and he loves it something for him the plant gets taken away and he wants to die again what is happening in this heart of this prophet it is very important as he's sitting on the hill, God asks, why are you upset about a plant? But if you look at the city, you see 120,000 people and you're not upset about them. This is what God is saying to the prophet and this is what's coming at us. Please open your heart. 
Jonah, you are concerned about your stuff. I am concerned about humans. You are concerned about your stuff. I am concerned about the 120,000 people down there. You have come to a place of a hardened heart. He was successful. He was on the good end of everything. And when it came down to it, he chose it above 120,000 people. Why is this book written? To help us keep our hearts soft. Are you with me this morning? To help us keep our hearts soft and pliable before God. Watch out. It's okay to own a house. Let not the house own your heart. It is the first step. If it owns your heart, it will not be good enough in two years. You have to break something. You have to own a vehicle. That's fine. Don't let it own your heart. It will never be good enough. You will serve away. Own things. Don't let it own your heart. It will never be good enough. You will end up with a hardened heart. Let not your heart be with stuff. Let it be with people. That's where God's heart is. I'm going to make this bad joke again that I made. It's not a joke, but I'm going to generalize for a moment. Please bear with me. I know it's not true for everyone, but give me some grace here. In Gauteng, that's where we come from, last eight years. You want to marry or associate with someone that's rich. That's what's important in Gauteng. In Cape Town, you want to marry or associate with someone that's cool or sophisticated. You laugh because you know it's true. I've seen both sides. So I was a pastor in the Cape Town congregation, and church was like a jack-in-the-box. You'd never know what comes through the door. I mean, it is entertaining. If someone would come in with their pants the wrong way around, you are behind. You fell behind, because that's the new trend. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. People are colorful, and I celebrate that also. But the people in Cape Town tend to say, look at those people in Gauteng. You know, they're so superficial. They just want to have more money. And the people in Gauteng say, look at those wackos down there. They're just competing to be the coolest. We're all the same. Because <laughs> both are using a human measurement tool, right? And then one day, a husband and wife walked into the Shofar church in, in Cape Town. And they were different. You know, you know um, when you just see these people are not from here, I'm like, these, these people are not from here. They will, firstly, they were a little bit older and the congregation was young. But they were not part with what we were busy with. You could sense it. They, they, did, not, they did not dress to kill, okay? I mean, their clothes was clean, but it was not new. It, it was not trendy. But something about them caught my attention. And, and the woman... She were, they were both in their 60s, and 
she didn't have makeup on and you could see, you know, they've, they've, been, they've been working outside, they've aged, but they were beautiful people and I, they interested me. So I went to them and I, and I spoke to them and um, they were very generous and you could see they, they had something in their heart, they had God in their heart. And so after the church, the worship leader came to me and said, I, I saw you speaking with my parents. I'm glad you met them. I said, are they your parents? Um, I, I asked him, where do they come from? He said, no, they've been missionaries in Africa amongst the Muslim community for 15 years. I can't remember if it's Mozambique or Malawi. And he said, they've been showing the Jesus movie in the language that people can understand. And for 15 years, they've ministered and they have led one person to the Lord. But they were the most beautiful people in that building because there was a plant growing on the inside. The kingdom of God was here. And I knew, okay, one day every tree in the forest will fall, build your house in the rock. What is really important? And as Jonah is on the hill, his heart was moved to his stuff. So what do we do with our hearts today? What do we do with it? How do you create a heart that breaks for people? And how do you keep that heart soft? I know you don't create your heart, but David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Amen. This is what you do. You fall in love with Jesus. It's the answer for everything, I guess. Let's look very specifically at a portion of Scripture and let's see the other Jonah that came. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. At that moment, the poorest man on the planet, along with other people, that has nothing, this last bit of something he had, his clothes stripped away from him. What do you have to say about that, Gauteng? <laughs> it's got nothing. And when it comes to sophistication and, and being cool and hip, naked and ashamed. How do you answer that, Cape Town? There's two things we can take this morning, and I, I pray that it will change our hearts as we are entering a time where hearts are open. 120,000 and more, wondering, is there grace for me? I was praying with a man in a hospital this week. I went to Cape Town and he asked me in Afrikaans, he said, Werner, is daar nog genade vir my? That was his question. How many people have that question? Is there still forgiveness for me? It is a time for us to speak, amen? 
It's a time for us to say, yes, there's hope. There's two things that Jesus did that Jonah failed to do. Number one, Jonah ran away from the lost. Jesus came to the lost. And Jonah said, judge them. And Jesus said, judge me. This should melt your heart to be pliable. Send me also, Lord. And so we are fighting at this time, not for the harvest, because they are ready. We are fighting for the laborers, left and right of you. It is time to take our hearts and soften it up again. I know you've been hurt by church. I know you've been hurt by people. It's time, it's ready to be hurt again. <laughs> because maybe through it, someone can connect with Jesus. Amen? He will help us. He will heal us on the way. And I believe for us, I know we've got many visitors here. I know God will send you back to your place as well if you're visiting here for the weekend. But I know for us here, we are in a time of open doors in this town. It is a time where, where, the, where the harvest is ready. Will we be ready? Will we have soft hearts? Amen? So tonight or this morning, I want to pray for us. So let's stand in this place. And I want us to respond with our hearts. I want us to pray before we do something special this morning. First, first prayer. If you relate this morning with Jonah, if, if you relate like, man, I, I have to be honest, sometimes my heart is hard and stuff, and because of what's happened to me, I, I have closed up a bit. It's time just to, to open it up again so that God can use you. Highest praises arise from the lowliest of hearts. Amen. So if you relate with that, won't you just, where you are standing, let's close. I'll just put up your hands and say, Lord, that's me. The hard heart, that's me. Just put up your hands. Thank you. Lord, as hands are going up, it is hearts we raise to you, hard hearts. That has become stubborn, like it's hard to be bent. It's hard to hear your voice because... These hearts are tough. Soften us again today. Oh, potter, put water on our hearts and bend us again. And where you are standing, let's respond in the right way. And let's repent of having a hard and offended and angry heart. Let's repent of that for a moment. Lord, we repent of keeping a hard heart. We repent of growing in offense and we soften our hearts before you again. We turn our hearts back to you. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. And then, if you feel like Nineveh, if you feel like a, a city full of sin, maybe you feel, man, is there even 
Christ for me. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Amen? Where you are standing, I want to tell you, you can be glad that Jonah did not come to die for your sins. Because maybe then there would not have been grace. But he did not come. But Jesus came. And he said, Father, judge me, so that whoever repents of their sin and turn to me with all their heart will never have to experience the judgment of the Father. That is his message to you this morning. So if you are here while every eye are closed and you want to be included in that prayer, quickly put up your hand. One, two, three. Say, Lord, that's me. I'm here for grace and forgiveness. Thank you for those hands. I'm here for grace and forgiveness. Let's everyone pray together. Lord Jesus, I stand before you today and I bring you this heart, this sinful heart. I don't come to you because I'm ready. I'm come to you because I'm not. Forgive me my sins. They are many. I rely on you, not on myself. You died and you rose again. And one day I will die and I will rise to be with you forever. Make me your disciple. Amen. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.